with the sweet sounds of Campionato di Calcio, it's the return of Golazzo, pazzo by the Campionato più bello del mondo. And with me here again today, it is Bondi to Gabriele Marcotti. Great to be with you, James. Yeah, we, we don't say Bondi where I'm from, by the way. <laughs> Gabriele is not well today. Also, James Horncastle. Uh huh. Okay, you are well, I hope, James. Yeah, at the moment. Super, a lot to talk about. We're going to be discussing one of the absolute legends of the game a little bit later on. And, man, you spent some time with this summer, Gab. I did, yes. I spent some time, some time with him in, uh, in the U.S. On several, on several occasions. Nice. But we'll also have a chat about what happened this weekend, maybe what's going to happen this coming weekend. Uh, first of all, though, should we have a quick check on the big stories in the papers? Now, big news, of course, the departure of City House Capocaninieri last season, Edin Dzeko, who's Edin to Chelsea, press-taking it well. They have come to steal our goals, says the front page of the Corredella Sport. This comes, of course, after Roma sold another key attacking player last summer, uh, Mo Salah, whatever happened to him. Loads of Roman column inches being spent on the Dzeko business. Gazeta point out that uh, with this deal, Roma have made around €300 million Euro in profit on transfers but it's still losing money, apparently. Anyway, they do argue that Dzeko's departure could be good as it will make room for the club's record signing from Sampdoria, Patrick Schick, who is 22 today and quite possibly spending it on the bench today as his team face Sampdoria in the uh, fixture held over because of heavy rain in Genoa from earlier this season. Bizarrely, Roma are also facing Sampdoria this weekend. <laughs> anyway, across town at Lazio, everyone's a buzzing at their rising star, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, or SMS, to his friends. No relation to Robbie uh, Savic. Uh, after his performance in their 5 1 defeat, Gazetta billing him Mr. 100 million. He scored two goals there. One of them, a magnificent volley, on an assist from Lucas Lever who's back in form after having his DNA cloned from a fly trapped in amber. A Lazio owner, Lotito, says that he turned down £70 million in the summer from a Premier League club. He won't say who, but expect more of that sort of thing. Anyway, speaking of young prospects, a shout-out to one 14-year-old Italian lad who took the field at a small ground just outside Turin last weekend, watched by a crowd of football luminaries. Nicolo Pirlo, for it was him, son of Andrea, of course, is he a chip off the old block? Well, he has a trial with Juventus coming up. Two words there that always send alarm bells ringing, trial and Juventus. Uh, but he has so far earned rave reviews and he's one of an exciting list of affiliati, uh, sporting sons of former greats, uh, Federico Chiesa, Giovanni Simeone at Fiorentina, Tommaso De Francesco uh, and Fabio Cannavaro's son, Christian, who has just signed for Benevento yeah. at the age of 18. Along with Sandro and Bakary Sanya. No. Mm. Wow. Things are changing down there. Boy, aren't they? And of course, speaking about sons of sporting greats, that's very much the subject of our nostalgia wallow later on. Well, that's the news. Also in the news, of course, all the things that happened last weekend. Gabriele, did you have one game that really blew you away? I mentioned Lazio there, who for the second week in a row scored five goals. What do you think? And they scored five goals uh, without Ciro Immobile, of course, who... uh you know how we're all excited by the uh, by the golden shoe? Uh-huh. Maybe. It's one of those... Golden shoe is one of those things from, like, my... I have a special affection for it because uh, I always think back to my childhood mm-hmm. and it was it was always Ali McCoist or some Romanian guy 
who, as we would find out years later, you know, always played for like the state police team or like, you know, the Ceausescu family trust and who'd score like 11 goals in the last week of the season mm. and, and just, just finished just ahead of Ali McCoist. Now, of course, they've changed it. Now the your goals are weighted, but, but Chido Immobile is right up there. I think he's... Mm. I think it's Immobile, Messi, and Harry Kane, I would assume. Yeah. Um, you know, right near the top, which is right. a pretty heady company. But I love watching Milinkovic Savage play. I think a lot of people are very excited by him. My one concern, I don't know how you feel about him, James, is his skill set is pretty unique. He's a big, heavy man who's got little man skills to some degree without being particularly quick. I, I think of comparisons, and I think maybe sort of like, early Frank Lampard when he sort of yeah. trundle through into the box and his timing would always be great so he'd get the shot on goal. I don't know, people are getting very excited. My concern is if they make the mistake and they say, oh look, big lad, you go sit in front of the back four. Mm. That's not his game. So but, his um, brother was at Man United. Yeah, Vanya, who's mm. a goalkeeper. I mean, this is quite an interesting sporting family because his his dad, Nicola, was a professional football player in Spain, played in the second division. Same size as, as Sergei Malinkovic, so he's 6'4". And his mum is a professional basketball player um, back in back in Serbia. Mm. So you've got Vanya who is six foot eight. You've got Sergio who's six foot four. And uh, they, I mean, as Gab says, they've got really unusual s- skill sets. The pair of them, because we saw Vanya Milinkovic Savic what taking a free kick uh, for Torino against Catpi in the cup and hitting the bar from you know, 35, 40 yards. So. Yeah, interesting gene pool there. In broader terms about Lazio, who with the game that they're, they are recovering again this evening against Udinese, which can be interesting, Massimo Odo, former Lazio player, uh, that's a way... They're already two points clear of Milan, who had a win, a second straight win <laughs> this weekend. Lazio's Champions League prospects look really good at this point. I mean, this is, this is the crazy thing. I mean, yeah, the big winner from the weekend was Lazio because Roma and Inter in that big game... Uh, supposed Champions League playoff on Sunday night, they both draw. But this is the incredible yeah. thing about Lazio this season, right? So in the summer, they lost their captain, Lucas Biglia, coach oh. to Milan. Everyone talks up Milan because they've got Billy and Bonucci. They lose Keita Baldidiao, who went to Monaco, scored 16 goals for them last season. They have to spend almost all of the first half of the season without Felipe Anderson. And yet, this is a team that, aside from PSG, Barcelona and Man City, has scored more goals than anyone else in Europe's top five leagues, 53 goals this season. Simone Inzaghi's done a fantastic job, but this is a team that's also doing it differently because this is a team that they never press. There's nothing particularly sophisticated about, about the way they play. They're probably overachieving, but then again, we've been saying that, they've been, that they're going to regress to the mean, but they haven't yet. Yeah. yeah. But I think the crazy and, thing, Gab, I mean, in December, they had a couple of decisions go against them. They're one of the main sort of sources of controversy for video assistant referees. Simone Inzaghi's come out and been really anti it so it's cost us seven points if they had those seven points they would be what well they'd be in another dimension for a start sure. but in that dimension they would be on 50 points which would be three behind Juventus and four behind Napoli but of course they can make up three of those points this evening when they take on Udinese in their game in hand which would leave them three points clear of Inter in third and uh, well, we'll see what Roma does this evening when they take on Sampdoria. As I mentioned, Sampdoria is also who Roma are facing this weekend. Sam, with a big 3-1 win over Fiorentina uh, in the last round of matches. Quag's hat-trick. Quag's hat-trick. He scored yeah. their last, what, five goals now? It's his best ever season. He's rolling back the years. He's... Well, yeah, and it's surely not a coincidence that that, that, that 
that whole backstory, the weight of that whole backstory with the blackmail and everything's been lifted finally off his shoulders. Yeah. Um, the stalker. Yeah, mm-hmm. incredible, really. Um, the postman. Who, you know, supposedly um, was, you know, behind you know, Napoli's decision to sell him. Um, you know, um, sent some erroneous material their way, which they believed, and, you know, they got rid of him. There's a really good account of this story. Uh, just Google. It's on, it's on Bleacher Report by a lady named Kelly Naki, uh, who, I mean, it's one of those really sort of 5,000 word long reads that goes into extreme detail about what happened and it's absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Mm. We'll, we'll put a link to that. Bene. Okay, ooh, this weekend Milan taking on Lazio. How big is that game? Is it big? Or in Milan is so much trouble that there's nothing, <laughs> there's no amount of points that can help them? I mean, look, I, I think the really good news from Milan's going to come, if it ever comes, when... <laughs> Mr. Lee finds his money and finds a way to get it out of China so they can pay off the Elliott debt. But no, all right. In, in the real world, the good news is going to come when they either renegotiate their debt in much better terms or when somebody buys the club and all the, the buffoons leave. I don't know. I mean, two wins in a row does matter. Uh, I don't think they're going to they're gonna finish top four. And that was really what would move the needle because – at the end of the season, they're going to fail financial fair play. They already know this. They've admitted this. So the type of settlement agreement that they get, which is basically the kind of punishment they get, will also depend on future revenues. Right. And obviously, if they're in the Champions League, then that makes a big difference. They are making baby steps under Rino Gattuso, who's very much gone back to basics. I mean, the big knock on this team was that they signed, what, 12 new players, and for a long time, they played like strangers. And, you know, when any- when anything went against them, they just collapsed and that's not really happening anymore um you know they they went behind to Fiorentina they came back got a point they went behind against Cagliari Donnarumma with a another mistake he's made a few this season and they come back and win that game so they are in some respects resembling the manager they're showing that kind of spirit that they need the kind of old school Milan the Kashavit the the what the screwdriver mm. working class Milan right Anyway, Milan under Gennaro Gattuso, now the latest in a long line of former greats who've taken the helm there. Clarence Seidel from Pippo Inzaghi, among the others. One name that's been conspicuously absent, though, from any involvement with the Rossoneri since his retirement is the man we're going to be talking about after this. That's right, everybody. Raf with self-control, the original and best. Taking you right back to January 1985, when Ronald Reagan was beginning his second term as president. Bettino Craxi was the Italian leader. He hadn't fled by that stage, no? Yeah, hadn't that's gone true. To, gone to Tunisia. He led but hadn't fled. And his chum, Silvio Berlusconi, hadn't yet dropped the mask and taken over the reins of power. None of that sort of thing happened. Uh, Italy was busy being hit by a record freeze, uh, temperatures dropping, I think, in Florence to the kind of minus 20s, and in Udine to minus 13, where, in late January, against Zico's Udinese, perhaps the greatest ever filio d'arte, Paolo Maldini, made his debut for Milan, age 16. You mentioned the weather Yes. in that game, because you see... You watch back the clip, there's snow on the sides of the pitch. He comes on at half-time for Sergio Battistini, who got injured. 
and he didn't have the right boots. I didn't have boots with the right studs for, you know, sort of snowy, icy pitch. So Ray Wilkins lent him his boots to make his debut. Really? And they were two sizes too small for him. Wow. Not just that, but he also played right back. Yeah. But the other thing about the 84-85 season, the mighty Verona, Ah. led by Galderizzi and Premenelkir Larsen, and of course Hans-Peter Briegel and Mm. Carella, they went on to win the Serie A title. And this would be a bone of contention for a long time because that was, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, that was the last season that refereeing assignments in Serie A were the result of just simply a random draw. They said right. we got, you know, eight games, eight referees, let's just have a random draw and just live with whatever referee you get. Since then in Italy, and not just in Italy, by the way, in, in, in the Premier League, and in every league, you know, there's somebody deciding, you know, who gets who and, oh, this game's tougher, let's give it to this referee and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, that would have all sorts of repercussion 20 years later, but let's, we don't want to talk about that bit right. because then certain people get upset. No, yeah, we, we should do one day, but it's a, it's a fascinating point. A, re- a remarkable season. Torino were in second place. Uh, who won, Who was top scorer? Michel Platini. Oh, a certain Diego Maradona. Love that. A certain Diego Maradona was third behind Spillo Altabelli. Maradona got 14 goals. Proper 80s Italian football, that. But at the stage of uh, the season when Maldini made his debut, uh-huh. Maradona had the same goals as Mark Haley. Did he? Haley, who got the got Milan a point in Udine that mm. day. If I can say Maradona's defense, that was yes. his first. Was that, that was his first yeah, season first in Serie A, right? When he moved for a world record, it seems silly now. Mm. I think it was equivalent of what four and a half uh, million pounds at the time. And Moji had to use his special friends to break into the federation's offices to deposit the contract. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of many crazy stories with it. But just to provide some context, he moved for four and a half million pounds. And I think it was just three years earlier, like the record in England was Trevor Francis, when he became the first million pound player. Mm. Um, it, 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 it's one of those records that if you adjust for insl- inflation, stood for, for, for like a good 15, 20 years. Mm. Which is fair enough, because it was Maradona. It was Maradona, yeah. yeah. Well, we never had a transfer fee for Maldini, because he never left Milan. Yeah, and he was talking only last night about how his uh, job opportunities are limited only to Milan or the national team, because right. he couldn't, couldn't work for anybody else. I mean, everybody, I think, remembers, everyone listening to this podcast will remember him as a player and his extraordinary ability. The numbers are 25 years, 902 appearances for Milan. How many red cards? Three. Mm-hmm. Three. Even well, you always used to say that if I have to make a tackle, it's because I've made a mistake. Yeah. Yeah, Sir Alex Ferguson saying about it, he could go through the whole game without ever tackling. That's mm. how good he was. And you can think of other players that that would apply to, but it wouldn't be because they were good necessarily. Anyway, more numbers, 126 Italy caps, just seven goals over 14 years with uh, the Azzurri. Uh, 23 trophies, five Champions Leagues. Ooh. Yeah, and there was something quite poetic, I suppose, about his father, Cesare, was the was the captain when Milan won their first European Cup and lifted that on English soil. Mm. And the first one that Paolo lifted as captain was also on English soil in two thousand three. Oh, wow. That vintage final against Juve. Yeah. Right. What was what was the best thing about Maldini for you, Gabriele? I mean, I don't think you can narrow it down to one thing, but but one aspect that always really struck me about Maldini, and you kind of have to have a bit of a sense of Italian football and the relationship with fans and stuff like that. Maldini was really always his own guy and he always kept a certain distance. He kept a 
distance from from Berlusconi. He was always very grateful for what Berlusconi did for the club and whatever else. He kept a certain distance from the supporters, um, from from the ultras as well. Again, not in a stuck-up way, but it's a very sad and, I think, really unfair thing, and he remains a legend, I think, without question. But on the day that he played his last game for Milan, um, there was the... uh, the Milan Ultras, and again, I think this was a portion of the Milan Ultras. They weren't speaking for everybody, but they put up a, b- a banner and say, you know, on the pitch, you're unquestionably the greatest ever. You know, off the pitch, there's only one captain, and it's Baresi. And again, I think, and possibly because Baresi never had that sort of independent streak that Maldini has, and I think that's part of the reason why he's not back at the club. I mean, I think it's an open secret. They've asked him back a million times in various roles, and why not? The guy speaks three languages, presents himself very well. You couldn't ask for a, a better club ambassador. He's intelligent. He's, you know, I think he's very aware of the company he, he keeps. Mm. And he's only going to get involved if he thinks it's the right fit. And because, as you said earlier, he can only work for the Italian FA. Uh, and for Milan, right now, it's probably not too surprising that he doesn't work for, for either. Right. I take your point. He did spend some time in your company this summer, though, Cabaret. What were you up to? Yeah, no, well, he, um, he he was in the States, and uh, it was the um, fabled uh, ICC, the International Champions uh, Cup. So um, he was promoting some events. I, I did some with him. We sat down with Daniele De Rossi, had a conversation with Maldini, and sort of, you know, footballers hanging around, greeting guests and stuff. Um, but I was just always struck by how he obviously loves football. And he's obviously also very aware that he gets paid to talk about football occasionally. I'm sure he wasn't there for free or because he liked hanging out with me. Um, much as that's a blow to my ego. <laughs> but um, but it was funny because the minute the cameras turned off, he was so happy to chat about anything mm. other than football. Um, Tennis? Because boxing, he loves boxing. Does he love boxing as well? With Ibrahim Bar, he's they, they, you know, they play tennis together, they box together, hmm. they do everything together. All Ibrahim, right. by the way, while Maldini still looks as if he could play football, mm-hmm. Ibrahim Bar, Ibu, does not. Yeah, that's true. Maldini owns or co-owns Miami FC in the North American Soccer League. Which league is that, Gabriel? That used to be the equivalent of the second division. Okay. I think they're more the third division. Oh, right. There's no promotion relegation in American sports. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and his son, well, he's got more than one son, but uh, the, the one who's kind of got furthest, is this fair? Is, is Christian Maldini, who's currently in the third division at a club called Fondi. Mm. I think the other the other one, he's the older one, right? Yeah. yeah. I think the other one is Ta- still... Is it Daniele? He's the one who tackled Clarence Seedorf. Okay. And Maldini's number, of course, is retired. The only event in which it would be unretired if one of Daniele or Christian was to come through. What about you, James? What's... If there's one thing you had to pick out about Maldini that made him so special. Well, I think Gab touched on a, touched upon it really that independence, mm. um, which you have to say that Paolo called it exactly right when he was interviewed by the new administration, the new owners of Milan. They were willing to give him whatever role he he wanted, and he he wasn't convinced by it. And I don't know if you remember, but. They released a statement shortly afterwards saying, you will regret that decision. You'll see that this is going to be a great mm. Milan. And kind of looks like Paolo's been proven right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it's uh, interesting, but both of you are wrong, though. It's the hair. Surely it's the hair. It's, it's that's, the hair. That's, yeah. I mean, there have been some footballers with great hair, but Maldini? 
Also, great eyes too. Great, yeah, that's true. The hair and the eyes, I'll I'll accept that. But one of the things, again, you think of the the pressures a lot of, um, you know, kids whose dads were great footballers, Cesare Cesare Maldini, you know, some Milan fans thought they'd never see a a defender that elegant play for them again. Mm. And, you know, his first day at Milanello, there was this kind of idea that he was raccomandato, you know, connected. He was only there because his dad was Cesare Maldini. And, um, you know, everyone went around saying, oh, he's Cesare's son. And Cesare Maldini said he knew his son had made it when people started coming up to him and saying, you're Paolo's dad. Yeah, that's so true. By the way, since you mentioned hair. Yes. I don't think in the history of humanity there's ever been such a disparity between... (laughs) A son's great hair <laughs> right. and a dad. And presumably 50% of Paolo's yeah. DNA comes from his dad, right. who has absolutely worse hair. And I'm not just referring to the to, 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 to the dye job. If you've ever seen his company, yeah. it's just sort of this like, you know, bucket cut. Yeah. You know, well, Shakespeare said passing is such sweet sorrow. And that was very much a good a description of, of, <laughs> exactly. of the way his well, hair do. That's a family that, of course, associated with with. Milan and the city of Milan, but right. yeah, you know, Maldini you know, grew up in in um, Trieste. You know, the family name is actually Maldin. You know, they're Slovenian. Um, oh, it was a Slovenian origin. That's uh, interesting. And it, it it changed in well, the decrees in the twenties when they you had if you had a foreign name you had to Italianize it. Right. By so, adding a vowel. It's most yeah. right. It's the same with Costa Curta as well. Or or even uh, Inter, yeah. who became Ambrosiana. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My name, as if you didn't know, is James Horncastle, and although I keep my hair long, I like to keep my beard short. And when it comes to shaving, I insist on Cornerstone. Cornerstone takes all the hassle out of shaving. You'll never run out of blades again. Just let them know how often you shave, and they'll take care of the rest. Get £10 off your first order, and find out more about your perfect shave box at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash totally. Uh, do you want to try and pick out one performance from Maldini? I mean, obviously he scored that goal after about a second against Liverpool, but we all know how that ended, so that's got other overtones. Maldini! There have been so many games. How many did we say? 902 for, for Milan, so it's hard to pick one. But the Champions League final against uh, Barcelona in Athens in '94. Was when he it? played centre back. When he played, yeah, because they go in against the greatest team in the world without Baresi or Tassotti, I think. Oh, Costa Corta. Yeah. So he has to basically change his role, and Barcelona don't get a touch. Yeah, and that was what that was the Romario Stoichkov mm. Barcelona. Yeah. That was that was pretty good. The dream team. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the dream team. Christ. Ah, <laughs> uh, digression. Um, no, that that was that was tremendous. I, I don't know if. If I'd say that was his pinnacle, because my absolute memory of that game, in addition to Savicevic's two goals, was was Marcel Desailly just mm. absolutely monstering the midfield. You know, it looked like he had these sort of pneumatic legs that would extend everywhere. It's like he's like he was some kind of Spider Man, and they just like just hooked the ball back in towards him. I mean, they, for me, that was one of the single greatest performances by defensive midfielder in, in, in a final that I can remember. Very nice. This, this, the Real Madrid game um, in what? 88? 89? 88, 89. The 5-0. No. 
where again that oh, that sorry, was. I you wanted to talk about the one-one, which is no the five-nil. Where again they're playing against that Real Madrid team, which was you know, a great. One, it's considered one of the greatest Real Madrid teams never to win the Champions League, and they just drove that Real Madrid team mad because they caught them offside like twenty-six times. That that Milan back line, you know, which is you know extraordinary. Again, some, someone who is very influential in changing Italian football was Niels Liedholm, his first manager, who again helped kind of convert Italian football to zonal marking paved the way for Saki as well and you know I think Michael Cox Michael Cox as well and you know that that performance against Madrid was very much the kind of zenith of that nice the country that gave us the likes of Brazil and Maldini an extraordinary lineup in, in that Milan bet four and well, Tosotti as well went and, to Milan to honour that tradition and believed he could Bonucci. do it with Bonucci yeah Who's the greatest Italian defender right now? I'm not joking. And I realize in football, and there's a deference to, to experience and having been there, done that. And, you know, if you don't, when people make those lists, like the top five or top ten defenders in the world, Bonucci and Chiellini, like by law, have to always be there. But for me, I think both Mattia Caldara and actually Alessio Romagnoli uh-huh. are better defenders. And I think Romagnoli looks worse because of the chaos around him and because he's got to play alongside Leo Bonucci, who's having probably his worst season ever and also certain obvious limits about Bonucci are, are, are emerging. So, I mean, I think when it comes to centre-backs, I think we're, we're okay with, with those two. Hmm. And not just those, I mean, Rugani and, and others, people seem to like. I, I'm a little bit disappointed not to have seen as much of Rugani as, as hmm. people perhaps expected. Um, How old know, is he now? He's- 22, 23. So he's still very much for the future with you. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, the guy who's basically taken Bonucci's um, position at Juve and has been you know, really back to his best after a couple of down years is, is Benatia. Another youngster. Yeah. Who <laughs> <laughs> is really playing shut down, shut down defense, really. So. All right. Speak- goal in 12 games, Juve have conceded. Is that right now? Yeah. Damn. 1-0, of course, this weekend against Genoa. Mm. Who have they got this weekend? They've got, oh, they're going to be at Kievo. Uh, and uh, Napoli host Bologna or in some form as a mention the kind of prestige the marquee fixture would be your Milan well, Lazio Napoli come up against Simone Verdi who turned them down turned them down and then in his first game since doing that puts on a hat-trick of assists for Bologna bang yeah. right in the captain's armband lovely story anyway let's leave it there for this edition of Golazzo Gabriele, thank you for joining us again. No, You're going to be where next week? Not here. I'm going to be in New York City next New week. New York City. And I'm going to be in Miami the week after. All right, then. Sounds like from this pod, you spend a lot of time in Miami, Cap. Yeah, no. it certainly <laughs> seems that way, but uh, no, in fact, it's... Just a th- coincidence. All right, excellent. Work, work, not holiday. All work. right. James, you will be here. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Uh, we've had a bunch of people writing in with suggestions of things we can talk about. And if you've got a thought, listener, send us a tweet at The Totally Football Show. Find us on Facebook, also at The Totally Football Show. And uh, we'll have a chat about one of those things next week. For now, though, grazie mille, Gabriele. Mm-hmm. And you, Mr. Horncastle. And you, producer Benito. <laughs> we'll catch up with you soon, listeners. From all of us here, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other podcasts, The Totally Football Show and The Totally Football League Show. Totally Football Show.